Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's safety chat. Hi, this is Nick Koya, Industrial Safety Consultant with the Portage County Safety Council and Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation. Today, I am here with Diane Grody-Adams, President of SafeX. It's great having you here. We're down at Ohio Safety Congress today, and we're doing some podcasting live at the Congress to catch some of the great presentations and speakers we have. And we wanted to have an opportunity to speak with you today because you've been talking about silica. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, SafeX? SafeX is an industrial hygiene, safety, and environmental consulting firm. So we provide training, services, anything that your ES&H manager can do, we can do to support them and help them be successful. So you have just a little bit of experience with this whole silica standard that's ongoing. A little bit, yes. (laughs) I've been an industrial hygienist for a very long time. We'll keep the numbers out of the conversation. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, the first question obviously is for some of our listeners is what is silica? Sure. Silica is actually more commonly probably understood as sand. Um, so it's crystalline silica. It's a naturally occurring material. And quartz is probably a common name that's uh, associated with silica. Our biggest uh, challenge is really that even though sand is similar, we want to talk about really, really small particles that can get moved along. And that makes the difference in what we're concerned about. So if I work in construction, we would probably find silica maybe in concrete and, and some of those building materials, correct? You're correct. Concrete, bricks, mortar, anything like that, rock even granite, any of those kind of things that come from the earth are going to contain silica. And that makes sense in a construction industry, but what about general industry? If I have a manufacturing firm, do I need to be worried about silica also? Depending on your firm, you do. Certainly, obviously, anyone that makes brick or concrete, that would make sense, right? If they're making block or brick or any even countertops for some of the granite products that we have to be worried about. So those kinds of manufacturers, certainly. But don't forget, in steel mills and in foundries, they use sand for casting and other things. So you'll find that there's fair amount of silica there and even refractories. So it's pretty widespread in the industry as well. So this is a pretty broad-reaching standard that OSHA has updated and made some changes to that are affecting employees now and employers here in the United States. So the first thing I think that happens with the silica standard is we need to decide if we're even exposed to it. Just because it's in the facility doesn't mean that we have a concern until we know what those numbers are. So how do we determine what that exposure is? That's a great point. And I think anytime a new standard comes out, we have to remember, okay, number one, yes, the standard exists, but am I impacted? And you're right. If nobody is exposed, then there's not an impact. So step one is really determining what products you have that might contain silica. And then second, determine if there's an employee exposure. And typically your employee exposures are going to be start by looking at what the employee does. And then if you can see the activity that there's interaction with that product, then we're probably going to do some industrial hygiene monitoring to measure what the exposure is, how much airborne, respirable crystal and silica is there. Get a decision from there. So if we see that there's an, an exposure there, those IH samplings while the monitoring happens in one day, it takes a little while to get that data back then, correct? Yes, typically. It's not as bad as it was when the standard first came out. The labs were really backed up in getting those results, but you're right. The samples actually go to a laboratory who does an analysis and then can determine how much silica is actually on that sample. So you could be looking at a week to two weeks till the sample results come back. And then if you're using a third party, they've got time to write a report. So it could be a month or so till you get some results back. 
And so that works really well in general industry, but in construction, it becomes a little more difficult with some tasks. So OSHA did help out by putting at least a table out there initially to help with the common tasks, at least in construction. They did. The construction standard has what's called table one, as you are familiar with, and it lists some very specific tasks and specific equipment that you can use. And the assumption is that if you're using these particular pieces of equipment and doing these tasks, then OSHA has put in a table that says either you have an exposure and you don't need to wear a respiratory protection, or you don't have an exposure in excess of the PEL. So table one talks about the fact that your specific equipment and specific procedures that you're going to follow, and then has two columns that go along with that. So if you're working less than four hours with that activity, you may not need to wear a respirator, but if you're working a full shift, you might need to wear a respirator. And so the equipment descriptions really include things like using ventilation or using integrated water systems to help minimize exposures. So a lot of common construction tasks are covered in that table. So you don't have to monitor for those. Now, in those cases where we do find that we're over that exposure limit, what do we do for our employees? What options exist out there? Yeah, that's always the million-dollar question. Obviously, in industry, you have a fairly more routine operation. And so we always look at the hierarchy of controls, which starts with substitution and then works its way into engineering and work procedures. And so ideally, if you can find a product that has less silica in it or no silica in it, you can substitute and reduce those exposures. Next would be obviously putting in ventilation or enclosing the process so that we don't have exposures to employees. And then we'll look at work procedures. And then last resort, those respirators if we have to go to them. And that really pushes you into another area. In general industry, when we have to, or even construction, when we have to get into those respirators, that PPE program really because of the silica drives you now to have a strong respiratory protection program too. It does. And that's something that I think, unfortunately, many of us overlook is that there, besides the respiratory program, there are a number of other programs that kind of get driven as a result of silica as well. But yeah, the respirator program is certainly something that you have to have in place. Both the construction standard and the industrial standard refer you back to the respirator standard. And as you and I both know, that's a written program and fit testing, medical clearances. And the big problem is obviously the clean shaven piece of the program where the respirators have to be worn with clean shaven faces. And that's a big problem in the industry. Yeah, that's hard, you know, especially construction. That, that's a hard one to convince the, the workers of. And I think the other one, and, and I always like to highlight this, especially when we talk about industrial hygienists and industrial hygiene, is there's this misconception that dust masks are not respirators. But once it has that N95 value, we fall into that. Yes. And we talk about this every day. I hold up a dust mask or a filtering face piece. I go, is this a respirator? And half the class will say, no, no, it's not a respirator. It's a dust mask. But you're right. Um, as long as it's a NIOSH approved dust mask, whether it's an N95, R95, whatever, it certainly is a respirator. And if it's required to be worn, that's a respirator program. So with all these changes to the OSHA, how soon do the employers need to be acting on this standard? Sure. Uh, the standard actually is in effect, went into effect last year. So everyone should be doing their best to comply at this point. We have not seen a lot of enforcement action yet around that. There has been some, but they definitely should, if they're not aware, be familiar with getting some help pretty quickly if they haven't started anything. So if you had an employer out there and they called and said, what is the first three things that I should do to prepare for the silica standard? What can I do today to start moving in the right direction? What are the three things that you'd ask them to do? I think the first three things certainly identify where their sources of silica may be. So a quick look at your safety data sheets and the products and materials they're using. So we know where we're going to need to focus and then identify where in either construction or in the facility, the employees interact with those products so we can narrow in real quickly who are the people at risk. And then we're going to have to do an assessment of whether there's an exposure or not. And the rest of it is all driven whether they 
are exposed below the action level, above the action level, or above the PEL. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today about silica. Looking forward to your presentation that you'll be doing here at Ohio Safety Congress, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. My pleasure. Everyone be safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.